It's the Locked On Canes podcast, where it's all about the you. My name is Fred Perdue. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Cam Underwood. What's going on, Cam? Yo, yo, yo. What's going on, good people? Just out here hanging out. Back for another day of Canes talk. Uh, a way back Wednesday or ish, something like that. So, yeah, not uh, any other day, but definitely today. So, yeah, we're here. Fred, how you doing? I've been good, man. I've been good. Uh, unfortunately, we had a little bit of a, a hiccup. Don't want to pull the curtain back too far, but I know I got to do a bit of, I got to do it, go ahead and be transparent as possible. I'll use my best Manny Diaz impression. It's on me. It's my responsibility. I'll do my best to change it. Uh, there was a bit of a, a technical issue yesterday, so there was no episode yesterday. So um, we're going to come with the content. We're coming with the content today. So we got to bring it. We just got to bring it. So, uh, but before we get into everything, which we'll be calling today Keys to the Franchise, before we get into everything, we got to go through the formalities, the house cleaning. Make sure you go follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Canes. Make sure you go follow Cam on Twitter, Underwood Sports. Make sure you follow myself on Twitter at Fred Purdue CFB. That is P E R D U E. On top of that, be sure that you like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. That can be Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Podomatic, any of those other ones. Uh, be sure that you just uh, you know follow the show, like the show, subscribe, and give us five stars because five-star ratings are awesome because Fred and I are both five-star recruits giving you five-star content every day. Let's go. I love it. I love it. So we have a little news, just a, a smidge, just a smidge. So first off, we have some ACC Honors And as bad as this team has been this year, there were a few bright spots. You know, we always say the good, the bad, the ugly. Well, this was the good. This is, unfortunately, the individuals didn't really, the performances sometimes didn't necessarily uh, help the team win, but it's always good to kind of recognize some guys. So uh, going just, what's kind of the ACC as a whole um, had Clemson. They actually had the most, uh, honorees, whether it was the first team or the second team, it was highlighted by guys like Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. We we know about those guys. We don't care about those guys. We care about the Miami Hurricanes. So first off on the list, we have the best tight end in America. Say it again. The best tight end in America, Thank Brevin you. Jordan, with 115 votes. Uh, you know our points. He, I mean, how could you not? Who else is in this conference that's even close? Nobody. He was first team all ACC. He should have had more votes. Uh, probably only got 115 points out of like 170, 180 points on first team because he was injured uh, and missed a few games this year. Uh, you know, and then even in the Duke game, he only played a hand, literal handful of snaps before he came out of that game. But uh, he's the best tight end in America, and I don't say that facetiously. Like you know, we keep repeating that because we honestly believe that, and that is who Brevin Jordan is and the the caliber of his level of play. And with that being the case, it was obviously also a no-brainer that he should have been first-team All-ACC, and he was. So to Brevin Jordan from the 702, I believe, is the area code out in Las Vegas. Congratulations, good sir. Uh, one name obviously not on the Canes uh, offense, but Kai Becton, you put me on to him. I was... I knew who he was, but I didn't really watch the film. He's a giant of a man, unfortunately. We didn't get to see much of him against Miami, but the little bit we did see, he, he gave us a few problems. Uh, from Louisville, the big tackle, he's got some decisions to make going in the next few weeks. So, uh, big shout-out to him. He was a Miami He was a Miami recruit for a, just, a, just a small bit of time. Um, yeah, Miami made a late run at him. Um, 
just to try and add another body. I mean, because Makai Beckton was only a three-star recruit, but he went to Louisville, and just like, you know, other guys over the course of time, they developed him really well, and he's first-team All-ACC, so yeah. So flipping over to the first-team defense, starting off with the 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 real, the, the best defensive end in this, in this class, or at least in this conference, I'd be willing to bet. Uh, Gregory Russo with 152. Hello. Let me say it one more time, 152. Two voting points. Yeah, he was a man amongst boys, uh, even as he is still growing and developing. Um, you know, obviously had a ton of uh, play time. He could have started, uh, but, you know, had a strong spring and a weak necessarily or reportedly fall, according to Manny Diaz and Blake Baker. But once Gregory Russo started going, like, you know, there was no stopping him. So, you know, he ends up with 14 sacks in the regular season, uh, leads the ACC, I believe, in that stat category. And, uh, you know, whether they schemed for him and gave him double teams or they slid protections over to John Garvin's side, Gregory Russo was just making plays and played on top of plays. And, uh, yeah, you know, obviously I think it was a, uh, he's a clear choice for first team all ACC. And it is my sincere hope and goal that we have more than one more season of Gregory Russo because he's a redshirt freshman. So technically he can leave to the NFL after next year. Um, but if we get another season like we saw of this caliber, then I will just have to be fine with it. But either way, <clears throat> excuse me, congratulations to Big 15 on offense, or excuse me, defense, because yeah, he was, he was that guy. You know, and I would love to see him come back for two more years. I, I, for some reason, you know, I want to see him be the best NFL player he can be. And I know injuries and money and all of those things come into play. Uh, but I would love to see him be that. No, he could potentially be with that size, those hands, that uh, that ability. He could really be – he could make some people think about some things maybe in two years. Not next year, but at least two years from now. Um, Pause game. Why not next year? Um, the, the first guy on that li- on that ACC list, Trevor Lawrence. Um, there's a guy at Ohio State by the name of Justin Fields. Those two guys will be going one and two. And, I mean, there's 32 teams in the league. There's 32 first-round picks. There's 64 top two-round picks. I mean – Oh, I, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm sorry. I didn't clarify. I see him at he could be with that size, that ability. He could be the number one overall pick. Sorry. Oh, that that was the thought in your head that you yeah, didn't share yeah, with yeah. us. Oh, okay. Um, maybe, but I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Now, down the list, of course, I, I don't give a lot of credit to those people up north, but I have to give credit to when it's due. Marvin Wilson, defensive line. Okay, let's move on. Um, Isaiah Simmons, the Justin Flo before Justin Flo. Uh, and, of course, the star of the show, Shaq Quarterman, with 129 uh, voting points. Yeah, Shaq Quarterman, first team all ACC in his senior year. Um, well-earned for him. He was the number three linebacker in terms of votes. And uh, Isaiah Simmons had the most votes on defense from Clemson. The shocker a little bit there is Chaz Surratt, the former quarterback mm-hmm. in North Carolina. He had a good season. He did, but he had the second most votes for all ACC linebackers. That's, I mean, and he was playing quarterback this time last year. It's kind of crazy. But, hey, you know, congratulations to him. He did have a really great season. I'm just saying that, you know, going into this year, you probably did not think that yeah, he was going did. to be voted the number two linebacker in the conference. But, you know. I didn't think Miami he'd start. Still, <laughs> huh? I didn't think he'd start. 
I didn't think that he would start at quarterback, but I mean, they were so bereft of, of talent at linebacker that, you know, when he decided, okay, cool, I'm just going to, you know, hit these protein shakes in this weight room and, you know, like make this transition full time to linebacker, I didn't see any reason why uh, he wouldn't be able to start there. Um, but yeah, you know, Miami has three first team. Um, all ACC players, Brevin Jordan, Gregory Russo, and Shaq Quarterman. I think that if you would ask any Canes fan that those would be the three probably who you would think would have made first team. And congratulations to all of those guys. On the second team, there was Michael Pinckney, excuse me, at linebacker. And then third team, you had Trajan, ba eh, excuse me, honorable mention, you had Trajan Bandy at cornerback. Um, Below, like a Stanford Samuels the third, well, that has to be a name recognition voting there because Samuels was getting lit on fire every single yeah, week. Yeah, he was. So he burnt toast. But anyways, um, so five guys on the various all ACC teams, three on first team, one on second team, and one honorable mention. But to all of those guys, you know, congratulations. Uh, you know, I think that those were well earned and well met. Um, could you have had maybe some other guys sneak up into some of those areas, maybe that honorable mention or second team, if you perform better, if you win those no games? No DJ Dallas? No DJ Dallas over Cam Akers? No. No? Sorry. Okay. No. Okay. I mean, I would think maybe over, you know, a David Bailey or Javante Williams for honorable mention. Yeah, sure. Uh, down there. But, you know, Jordan Mason and – I mean, well, Jordan Mason got up to third team because Miami missed 537 tackles when we played Georgia Tech. And Michael Carter got up to second team, or third team, excuse me, because we missed, you know, if we missed 537 against Georgia Tech, we missed 536 tackles against North Carolina. Facts. So that's how those guys got up there. And then second team, Cam Akers and JV and Hawkins, no, they, no, they were, up, they were up there. And then first team, Travis Etienne and A.J. Dillon are on a different level in terms of uh, ACC running back. So I think that, you know, DJ Dallas, I believe, should have been and was on pace to be around that maybe third team, maybe honorable mention. But, you know, you get injured and then obviously the, the run game just went disappearing. You know, he did have start the year hot with three or four hundred yard games, but uh, his production fell off of a cliff while the offenses did uh, through the rest of the season. So, again, that's what I was talking about. That's a guy who. Otherwise, if the team plays a little bit better, you have marginally better stats than you had, you probably get in that conversation. But, you know, a 6-6 six and six team is only going to get so many votes or so many players voted to, to these teams. At the beginning, of, at the end of uh, yesterday's show, we said um, after our rants about the whole Duke situation and what's going yeah. on with the coaching staff, and just best believe we're going to have more rants. There is a lot of ranting that is going to happen in the next couple of weeks, especially going into bowl season where we don't have any coaches to talk any, say anything. So we're going to go with what they said and we're going to, we're going to kind of examine it and give our thoughts. So, but for today, um, we said that we wanted to ask you guys. Ooh, wait, ooh, wait, ooh, wait, uh -oh, ooh, wait. Uh-oh, uh-oh. No, it's not an uh-oh situation. It's not a rant or anything. There's one more piece of, like, news, if you will. Okay. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash lockedonNBA. Listening on the go? If you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. The University of Miami announced, and so did the opposing team, that oh, uh, yes. they, they have a home-and-home home coming up in the future with South Carolina. Um, and that is a home-and-home home football series in 2026 and 2027. Mm -hmm. 
So or Miami will travel to Columbia, South Carolina uh, first, and then the return trip will be in next year in 2027. For those people who do not necessarily like the schedule, and I don't understand why, because Miami follows the same paradigm everybody does. You play a one a FCS school, you play a G5 school, you play a Power 5 school, um, and then you, or yeah, two G5 schools, and then maybe like a major Power 5 school as your four non-conference games. This fits in that paradigm. So these are the non-conference, the top non-conference opponents for the next few years. 20 and 21, you have a home and home with Michigan State. 22 and 23, you have a home and home with Texas A&M. 24, you're at, or 24 and 25, you have a home and home with Florida. 26, 27, now you have uh, South Carolina. Also, you have a Notre Dame game, or Notre Dame home and home, 24 and 25 also as well. Then you're back with Notre Dame, 28 and 31, and then you know some other uh, Notre Dames in the future. Oh, sorry, I forgot, 2021, you open with Alabama. So you have at least one, if not two, major power five opponents in each of the next, what, eight years running? I think that that's solid scheduling, and this home and home with South Carolina is another step along that path. Not to mention it is a SEC school, and we know how much, regardless, of the, it could, they could be five and seven. You know how these SEC schools get the love and all the adoration, unless you're Tennessee, and they don't claim those people anymore. But um, nonetheless, uh, the last time these teams actually played was a bowl game in, what was it, 2014? Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami lost a close one, 24-21 in the Independence Bowl. Uh, one Brad Kyle was the was your starting quarterback. As you, hence, I said your starting quarterback when they act up. They're yours now. I have to give them to you. So, um, my guy Duke Johnson, he he had a pretty good game. Twenty four carries for one hundred thirty two yards. Uh, so, it's it's good to see. I will say when the bowl games do do one thing, they <laughs> they allow you to see matchups that you may want to see in the regular season at some point with name value and maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, you in this case, almost what, 20 years from now, or I'm sorry. Um, mm-hmm. or in this, is case, it though? 12 years from now, 13 years from now, you know, at some point you're going to see. Bro, you, 2020 is in eight or 28 days. What are you talking about? No, I'm saying from that time period, that time. Right? Oh, from that yeah, time Yeah, from period. that time. Oh, okay. You confused like, me for a second. Like, no, 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 no. You confused me? Okay, my bad, my bad. <laughs> no, from, 20, from 2014 to then, yeah. till uh, the, these actual dates, um, 12, 13 years later, the name value may stick. Heck, you never know. And I actually saw someone that actually said – on, I saw someone on Twitter that actually said South Carolina shouldn't be scheduling this. This is all the SEC's uh, a bit. They're tough enough, and I hate that that whole idea, especially the SEC East, because that's a Florida Georgia conference, and the rest of that or a division, and that rest of that division is really not that good. You may want you know Miami on that schedule to make that mm-hmm. other, and obviously not knowing, not going super far mm-hmm. into it. Not knowing what they're scheduling way out, but just knowing you have an extra school on there that is a power five. And I and I actually posed this and I said this. I said uh, in response, I said um, magically, let's just say South Carolina goes is a playoff contender. And well, they only have one loss. 
what happens if that one loss is to a Miami team? You needed that Miami team to get in this thing. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's all good. And it's all good in the neighborhood until you need somebody to help that schedule out. And you found you won the rest of the way. Let's say you lose that one game. But the one loss you had is in Miami. It turns out to be maybe a, a one or two loss team. And they're a top 10, top 15 team. And you lose by a field goal. That makes it look great because, like, in in Auburn's case, Auburn had a case had they never – I think it was they lost to Florida. Um, had they – if they never – or I'm not – I'm sorry, not Auburn. It was Oregon. Had Oregon never lost uh, recently to Arizona State, the only loss they had was to Auburn on the last play of the game. They were a legit contender based on resume, and they needed that Auburn team to boost that resume. Yeah, I mean, the thing with, and we're going to wrap this up quickly, but the thing with South Carolina is their permanent crossover from the SEC West is Texas A&M. So you're going to have that, Mm -hmm. but you also have your rivalry game with that beast known as Clemson. So you're going to have both of those teams. Will be there, though? That's the real question. I'm just saying in general when you're looking at constructing a schedule. Yeah. You have, you know, the in-state rivalry with Clemson and then Texas A&M. And those teams had a home-and-home these last two years. And A&M was arguably one of the teams other than Pittsburgh who played Clemson the closest. Mm-hmm. So that's a good darn team. In addition to your SEC East, you know, you know, uh, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, Missouri, blah, 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 blah. Then you're going to add Miami as, you know, a non-conference to that schedule. Um, and for Miami, you know, starting next year, well, not next year, in 2020, because there is no SEC team. But in 2021, you have seven games against SEC teams in a row, or seven years with a game against an SEC team consecutively. Auburn, or Alabama in 21, A&M in 22 and 3, Florida in 23, uh, 24 and 25, then South Carolina in 26 and 27. Look, that's a good schedule. That's good non-conference scheduling. And... No, it's not necessarily the cream of the crop as you look at scheduling right now. I mean, Miami did not schedule Alabama home and home or Auburn home and home or Ohio State home and home or, you know, Georgia home and home or anything like that. But it's a solid team. It's a name brand program um, and whatever. I'm hopeful that Miami will win, but obviously that is only if Miami does what Miami needs to do, which is a thing that they have not done too often recently. And as Fred alluded to before I interjected with this aside, um, we're going to talk about some of the ways that we and you think uh, Miami could change things or what they would do if we were in charge. And that's going to come up after this break. All right. So, Ken, we at the beginning of the show, we talked about having if we had the keys to the franchise what would we do sir i know you are the you are the avid canes fan here i am i'm just this i'm the you're sp- not oh i am i am i am the supporting i'm the supporting role here i i'm gonna you're you're batman today you're definitely batman today turn you've up had, you've had a little hey, y'all save y'all save that you know i'm batman he's robin you know i'm gladys knight he's the pips you know, I'm LeBron. He's whatever scrubs are playing with LeBron. Y'all just know, you know, that I'm the stir that stirs the drink. You know, just, yeah, I, I just want y'all to hear that and, and, know, and know that. So continue. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll let you have your moment just this once. Just I'm this good. Once. Just this once. So, so we've had, you know, we've both had our issues with this program. And, you know, for me, um, if I, I posed this question on Twitter and I said, if you had the keys to the franchise, what would be three things you would do 
to turn this thing around after almost 20 years of misery. So it got me to thinking, what would we do? And we got a little bit of fan interest back. We got a little feedback. So we'll kind of get to those guys in a little bit at the very end. We haven't forgotten about you guys. So, but Cam, how would you, what is one of the, what is your first thing you would do? And we'll kind of go back and forth here. What would you do to help fix this franchise? A1, number one, start right at the top. Number one with the bullet. Danny knows you got to go, buddy. Ooh. Sorry. Uh, offensive coordinator needs a change uh, because, you know, if you need to change scheme, then you need to change the person running that scheme because if you had the scheme in place that you wanted, like, that person would be running it already. But he's not because uh, he wants to run what we are running. So, you know, you've got to go get somebody new. And for me, you know, I know that there are many options. You might not even get this guy just because of the connection of where he is and what they're doing. But my number one, uh, you know, replacement, because we here like to, if you are going to have a, a statement saying, you know, something needs to change, offer a solution for that change, for me is going to get Sean Gleason from Oklahoma State. Uh, Justin Dottavio, one of our writers at State of the U, he profiled Sean Gleason last year. That was one of my first, uh, I was knowing or hearing about him, but really uh, dug in after that and saw a lot of what he did at Princeton previously with, I mean, just record-setting greatness. And I know it was at Princeton, but still, you could see the outline of the kind of spread-to-run power offense that, excuse me, you wanted to run here at Miami and would take advantage of the kind of talent that we have. So, you know, if you look at what Oklahoma State did with a freshman quarterback, uh, yeah, he had, you know, 16 touchdowns and 11 interceptions the freshman quarterback did but he also had almost 2100 passing yards and almost 500 rushing yards he was their number two runner on the year uh, so you you know have a guy with mobility you have a running back who is uh you know a decent bowl game away from 2000 yards and i think he has 18 or 19 maybe even 21 rushing touchdowns then you had uh, a number one wide receiver in tylen wallace who was doing huge numbers before he got injured eight games into the year he was averaging like 117 yards and a touchdown a game so you have a power run game with a running back who's almost at 200 yards a game uh, or 180, whatever it is. And when the opposing defenses want to bring guys into the box to break that up, then you go up top to a talented wide receiver who, let's be honest, doesn't have the kind of physical talent that Miami's wide receivers have. So for me, that's a wonderful, great fit and an immediate upgrade in terms of running the kind of scheme that Miami should be running to take full advantage of the kind of talent that exists on the roster at the skill positions. You know, I said last year uh, when Mark Rick was at the helm and I said, he, Mark Rick is the guy to run the program. He's the CEO of the program. He's, he's that guy. I mean, he, he's perfect, but he has to give up play calling duties because this offense is a dinosaur. And I feel like I'm saying the same thing again. Manny Diaz may be the right guy to run the program, to be the CEO, and may have and can have his fingers, fingerprints all over the defense. But the offense is still a dinosaur. And the same things that Danny Nos did at Alabama, he can't he just couldn't replicate at Miami. I get it. You want you want Jaron Williams to look like Tua, but it's it's just not the scheme doesn't work if you don't have the players. And Miami has guys. They have dudes. But it's a whole different beast there. You don't have to do a lot when you're at Alabama. So Can, can I interject something mm-hmm. really sure. quickly? Enos was quarterback coach, not offensive coordinator there. 
So if you're talking about all the scheme that was run that was under the direction of other people. So yes, this is true. This is true. That. that was also that was that was um, Mike Loxley. But when you when I look at a guy like Enos, uh, I see I, when you have your quarter your quarterback guy is always for some reason they always have some kind of say so with the offense, but. Typically, when you come in, regardless of who it is, they all the the team's overall scheme doesn't change. They may put their little tweaks to it too, um, but I guess this is what Danny knows wants, and it just doesn't yes. work. It, it, it's what he wants, but it doesn't fit the landscape of college football. We were actually having this conversation as I go kind of into what my first thing is before we kind of jump into it. We were talking about this one, Kelvin Harris and myself on Twitter. Uh, There was the idea of these pass heavy spread attacks don't win, but there's no such thing as a team. Most teams don't even really do that anymore. It's the air raid stuff works. It's just now it's been married with what Oregon used to do with Chip Kelly. It's been married with what Georgia Tech actually did. It's just done out of the out of the shotgun. I mean, with the run game, with the power run game. I call it, what I call it is I call it the power raid. It's a bit of it's a bit of uh, it's like if two if Chip Kelly and Mike Leach had uh, their offenses had a kid. That's what it would be. So um, that's what Miami needs. I mean, well, take it, well, take advantage well, of of the speed. Kind of. But, I mean, a Mike Leach offense, that's one of the few offenses that is a pure air raid where you're throwing it 60 and 70 times a game. And, you know, 15 or 20 of those check down swing passes mm-hmm. are ostensibly extensions of the run. But even, he's a, he, even he has adapted his game uh, with more of the running attack attached to it. And Sometimes. With, and with the RPO game now being a part of things, everyone's taken a bit of – of what he's done, and he just hasn't have, had the right quarterback to to do what he what these guys do now. I mean, even like a like a Justin Fields, no one has that. I mean, those guys well, are few and far would, between. You would go get them, but I mean, the quarterback that they have, as I look it up, like I always do. Mm, of course, Anthony Gordon is a senior. He threw for fifty two hundred yards and forty five touchdowns with six. I mean, six hundred and forty five attempts. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he had the most attempts in college football by a hundred and sixty five. You know what I mean? Like, it's – I hear you. I mean, he's attempting 54 passes a game. That's I a mean, bit that's, much. That's a bit that's, much. That's 14 more passes a game than the next highest guy from San Jose State. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, his offense is still pretty pure in the air raid mm-hmm. formation, just like Paul Johnson's was still pure on the flex bone triple. Yes. Or it was – okay – it ended up being about 90% pure. You started to see a little bit of that last year of going away from that, but that's because Georgia Tech was so bad last year, they had to throw because you're down three touchdowns all of a sudden in every game. Um, you know, and I think that they beat Miami last year. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you know, so, like, yeah, I mean, there are some spreads. You know, SMU is an air raid scheme. You know, they threw 443 times. The Shane Bouchel, excuse me, did in, in 12 games. I would say that would be more of a an analogous fit. So if you mm-hmm. had the that spread or that air raid with, you know, the flexbone triple or something. But you know, wasn't it? Chip Kelly was doing a lot of that triple option ish kind of stuff from multiple formations, pistol, shotgun, yes. you know, two back, one back, all kinds of stuff like that. But I mean, I don't know, apparently 
that one year in Oregon, he lost his mojo because ain't like it used to be. Yeah, it is not like it used to be. And speaking of running the football, my thing, my first thing here is uh, the offensive line. Butch Perry is not the guy for me. And, you know, when I look at what I Butch, – Be- Butch Berry with a B, not I'm Butch sorry, Perry Butch, like Butch, Nicosi. Butch, Come yeah. on, fam. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Butch Berry. Um, for me, when I look at a – an offensive line coach that was with a bad offensive line and that offensive line did not get better. It actually got worse. They stopped run. I mean, it's the NFL and different things happen. And you have an offensive coordinator who was also your head coach at the same time in dirt cutter who refused to run the football, but whether it was run, whether it was pass, it was always a problem in Tampa. And I've heard great things about him, uh, from from sources inside the team, but at the same time, and uh, inside the team as in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, but at the same time, what I'm looking for in offensive line development is hand usage. And the guy, if and of course, if we're gonna talk fixing something, if we're gonna talk about the problem, I have a solution. The solution would be a former offensive line coach head coach who has had success and also he helps you because he's he has the experience of a big time bowl winning team head coach in Brett uh, Brett Bielema who is a, uh, a coach he's an assistant for the New England Patriots and when I look at what he brings he not only brings that offensive line experience but he, again he brings that ability to say hey Manny Diaz we should do this this is from my, based on my experience in this situation. This is how you can handle this. This is what you can do here. Play calling is a big thing too. And guess what? Red zone, run the football. Yeah, and Brett Bielema, that's a guy who I think fits. Uh, you know, he had success at Wisconsin. Left there to go to Arkansas. I don't know why he would do that. Yeah, I don't understand whatever. that move. Never okay. did. I mean, but you had the omnipresent um, Barry. Barry Alvarez, Alvarez, who was the uh, AD. Right. And I think twice or three times when there's a coaching change, he just, you know, hired himself at a hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand dollars a game Until he found to coach else. the bowl game. Yeah. No, I mean, no, he found the other guys. They were like, okay, the new coach next year is this. He's like, cool, but you're not here right now. Uh let me look around. Somebody who could I can pay six figures to coach the bowl game. Hey, I woke up and looked in the mirror today. Barry, you want to coach it? Barry, yes, I do. Anyway. So maybe that was part of Brett Bielema leaving. But when he was at Wisconsin, he was in that um, that system, and they they just grow offensive linemen there. You know, you find them, you pretty much invariably redshirt them for a year, and then they grow up, and they are just maulers. You know, all of them are 6'5 to 6'8, 310 to 340, and they just lean on you. And, you know, Miami has been on the – uh, business end of that leaning a couple of times in yes. these last couple of years. Uh, so you you know know that, but it's that same kind of a thing. So I think that there's a fit. For me, I want to say getting rid of Butch Berry or bringing in Butch Berry, I think it was less about him having worked in the NFL and more that he had previously worked with Dan Enos at Central Michigan. So when you bring in an offensive coordinator to, you know, run your scheme or run his, their scheme, the one that they prefer to and want to run. It makes sense then to bring in an offensive line coach who understands that because offensive line is integral to the running and functioning of the entire offense. So it was less about what Butch Berry did at the NFL level, although coaching at the NFL level, even if you are on a bad squad is you, I mean, that's a high level of coaching. 
and the margins are so small. So, I mean, like that is quality experience. But again, I don't even think it was about that. I think it was about the connection with Dan Enos from having worked together for five years at Central Michigan. So when Enos got the job here, he said, okay, look, I'm going to bring in my offensive line guy because that's part and parcel of running this scheme the appropriate way. Uh, so I think that that was why he was brought in right now. But, yeah. Now, for number two for me. Um, Wait, that was your number two, wasn't it? No, that was my number one. Oh, my bad. Go ahead. Offensive line. Uh, number yes. two, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of what you said with your first one. Uh, offensive I mean, that's what Robin does to Batman anyway. But go ahead. <laughs> you're going to roll with this one, huh? Yeah. Hey, you Hey, you opened the door, fam. I don't I know did. why, but that's all right. I did. You did. I did. That's all right. You know who the star power is. Go I ahead. I did. But... I did. It's okay. Okay. I'll let you have it. Um, but no, um, you know. Offensive coordinator was always a problem for me, whether it and it's been a problem for me for decades now. I mean, whether it was Mark Whipple, whether it was Jed Fish, whether it was and and you've seen you've seen production, but I haven't seen what I want to see from Miami. I don't want to see a pro passing offense under center. I don't want to see any more of that. I need to see what Miami I need to see Miami in its final form. I need to see Miami in a spread offense. I need to see Miami throwing um, spread-like routes. And because, and let's just be clear about this. There is a difference between a pro route tree and what we see at the college level where guys just have maybe one or two. It's bubble route, smoke route, go route, post route, maybe a comeback every now and then, maybe, an, and you'll see an out route. That's that's the extent of a basic spread offense. Maybe you'll see the the base of the base of a air raid, and I'm gonna get there. The base of an air raid offense is a lot of mesh, crossing routes, uh, out routes, go routes, post routes. That's what you want. You want to you want an extension of the running game with the short passing game. But then when you when you suck those safeties in, you bring that extra that star that striker whatever you want to call him. You bring that in. You bring him in to to come up on those short routes. You're going deep over the top. And you can marry that, like I was saying, when you said offensive, with, with your offensive uh, coordinator pick, you can marry those types of offenses, those air raids, those, sp- uh, those power raids, spreads. You know, you can marry that. And so Graham Harrell is probably going to be on the market at some point. And I actually think he's on the market now, seeing as USC has already dismissed Clay Helton. I have an idea of who he probably... Wait, uh, they did? Yeah, they they've they've already dismissed uh, Clay Helton already a couple days. Wait ago. for serious? Yeah, for serious. I thought serious. that was a I thought that was a joke. No, they've are they've they've dismissed him. They say it's not, but I have a nice source. I oh, have, okay. I have a very good source. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I have a good. So it's source. one of those things. Yeah, I have gotcha. a source. Yeah, um, no, not any, no, no breaking news, no sounders or anything. But I have a good source that he's gone already. So um, Graham Harrell is gonna. If you, the name sounds familiar, it's. You know, you hear Graham Harrell throws to Crabtree. He breaks free. They beat Texas years and years ago. So that same Graham Harrell has been at North Texas as well as now he's at USC. And USC offensively looks completely different. And they're very much like Miami, which I've 
I've said in previous podcasts and in on previous other shows, USC is the West Coast version of Miami offensively and defensively. And they have the same elements. They've decided, look, we're going all in on spread. We're going to we want to do what everybody else does. We're not stuck in the past. Well, it's time for Miami to follow their West Coast counterpart and finally come into a power raid type of system, very much like what you see with your guy, Sean Gleason at Oklahoma State. I see the same thing coming at I saw the same thing coming at USC. It didn't matter what quarterback they had. JT Daniels, Slovis, didn't matter. Their guys can that's the beauty of these offenses. You can interchange guys. Guys like a Nikosi Perry, guess what? We're not gonna throw as much, but guess what? We're gonna simplify the routes. We're gonna say, look, we're gonna let you win on the perimeter. You can take off. You're a part of the running game. Because guess what? The the hardest thing for a defense to do is simply this account for a running quarterback because now there's an extra blocker on the field hello can i can i give you a counterpoint and and wait for your reaction to this okay go ahead graham harrell is from texas like he was born in texas he played at texas tech and you know pretty much everybody from texas wants to play at and be Mm -hmm. at texas texas fired their coordinators both offensive and defensive this is true it is rumored that Graham Harrell wants to go back to Texas because he's a Texas boy who's from Texas, coached, I mean, played at Texas Tech, coached at North Texas in the state of Texas, and now he will get the, one of the flagship jobs, offensive coordinator at the University of Texas. So let's assume that he does that because, you know, everybody wants to go home again. Who you got then? Who? I would, I would love in USN if it's not Graham Harrell because that's the dream guy. That's the guy that I want. But if I can't have the guy I want, I'm going after Joe Brady, the passing coordinator at LSU. Your pockets aren't that deep. Who's next? Ooh, you think so? LSU talking big cash that they're going to give him an upgrade in title and seven figures in salary. You ain't matching that. And and that's like people talking about getting Brent Venables away from Clemson. He's making two plus million. His kid plays for him and they're winning everything. Joe Brady is on a fast track to pretty much whatever job he wants if they do anything like this again next year. So why would he take a step out of that? And LSU is about to pay the brick because they know that the cost of the brick went up. So them two off the board, who you got? So if I don't have either one of those, Florida State, and I I know you're going to kill me for this one. You're going to kill me for this one. But I can't have Art Browse. I can't have him, right? Because he's already – he's – just he's damaged goods but one Kendall Bryles will probably not be at Florida State once they make their nice little their coaching change right so Kendall Bryles brought in an offense very much similar to what Baylor runs which is a very it's a very it's a variation of the air raid mixed in with again that run game very much like Sean Gleason too and again we call it I call it the power raid it include it forces It forces teams to have light boxes. It forces quarterback. It gives quarterbacks easy reads because if it's six in the box, we're we're uh, we're throwing. If it's if it's five or less in the box, we're running. It's easy peasy lemon squeezy. So the good part about this, you're gonna get them on the cheap. So why not go after a guy like an like a Kendall Bryles who brought. Some some flair to Florida State. Those guys couldn't stop anybody early, but the offense was putting up points early and often. And if you just have to, if you really want me to, ha- um, if I can't have him, I there's one more, 
at Liberty, I know he's a head coach, but I really, 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 really like a guy in, in Hugh Freeze. I know he has some sketchiness in his background, but his offenses have been great wherever he's been. Bro, what is wrong with you? Uh-oh. No, that's all I'm going to say. Absolutely not. I don't need anybody from the Bryles family, either one. No. Mm-mm. Nor I – no, what? No, I – Okay, hey, I mean, these are your choices, and I'm not going even. I'm not even going to go off. It doesn't. I, it. I'm not stooping to the level of discussing any of those people. Absolutely not. Uh oh. Um. So no. Anyways, um. My number two is on the other side of the ball. At the defensive coordinator spot. Now, I'm not as heavy on the fact that he needs to go. Blake Baker, that being. Uh, as I am with Dan Enos, just because Miami is running a lot of the same play calls on defense. Like, you know, systematically, it's a lot of what we saw when Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator. Now, there were breakdowns of people missing tackles, people slipping in coverage, things like that. But when you look at the way that Miami played defense, it by and large part was the same, even though the, you know, faces and numbers and players who played those plays changed. But Charlie Strong got fired at USF. Charlie You're Strong in is in my playbook. In, Get out of my playbook. Charlie Strong is an incredible defensive coordinator, and honestly, after this, he probably won't get another head coaching job. Um, but he's a lockdown recruiter. He's an amazing defensive coordinator, defensive mind that you've seen in multiple places be uber elite. I think that that's just an upgrade. You know, like, I mean, and I think that Blake Baker is fine. He's probably, you know, a B or a B plus if I'm giving grades. Like, he wasn't terrible. But if you can bring in Charlie Strong and he still, like, has that fire, you know, like, look, I got fired from a couple places as head coach. I'm going to drop down a level, you know, in terms of my personal position with the staff. Um, And, oh, I just saw something great. Um I'm going to drop down to my personal position level, but I'm going to bring all that same heat. You know, like when, you know, when I say something and, you know, to, to not necessarily troll fans, but if I say something that's controversial here on the podcast, you say Cam wants all that smoke, blah, 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 blah. If Charlie Strong has that mentality about coming back to be a defensive coordinator, going recruiting, going and developing players, all of those kind of things, I just think that that's an upgrade. And if possible, and if he wants that, then I would go after that and just say, Blake Baker, I appreciate it, but you're good and we have an opportunity to get a person who we believe is currently great. And sometimes those are the breaks. You know, I got to, again, you're in my playbook. Bill Belichick, stop it. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, for my number three, this was exactly what I was going to go with was uh, defensive coordinator. And there is only one person that I'm even willing to put into this position is one Charlie Strong. He is one of the best recruiters in the state of Florida. He can recruit South Florida, Central Florida, North Florida. He's, he's done it at other places. And that's what uh, you need when it comes. It's the rec- Recruiting is the lifeblood of the sport, right? He can relate to these kids because he's been where they've been. So... And, and, and that's a whole nother beast in itself. 
but you have to understand the kids that you're recruiting and keep those relationships. Um, and the thing is, he's going to be – It's a, some guys – and we had this discussion before when it, when it came to the, going to the NFL, but some guys are just not always – some guys aren't head coaches. I hate saying that. No disrespect to him. But some guys are either – they're top-level uh, coordinators – but they're they're not top level head coaches, and there is a difference. And I think Charlie Strong is one of the best top level coordinators, defensive coordinators in the country. He can call a defense like with the best of them. He can stop some of the best. We've seen it with God when he was at Florida. We saw it when he was at Louisville. But uh, we kind of am I? Can I say that we kind of saw it? No, he didn't. We didn't see it at Texas. Um, but nonetheless, we've seen it enough. We've seen his talent at every stop he's gone. He's been a great recruiter. He's been able to uh, kind of maintain things on defense, and I, I wouldn't want anybody else. It's been cool, Blake Baker, but you got to go. If you want to be an assist, I, I, I would say it's almost a, you're, it's a slap to, to the face for him if you say you can be an assistant, but you, if I can upgrade, why not? And, and for Blake Baker, if, 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 you went to him and said, you can stay on, but we're going to bust you down from defensive coordinator to position coach. That still means you've got to get rid of somebody because we're at 10 assistants right now. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, but that's my number two. Moving on to my number three key. Um, this one's a little tougher because the first two were, were really readily apparent to me um this is kind of nebulous and it is a thing that literally every team does almost every year but within a couple of years every team does this or attempts to do this find a quarterback you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. That's the old saying. You know, mm-hmm. it is in most cases. In most cases, when have you had two quarterbacks and it really worked mm-hmm. as a scheme? Um, know, other, mean, if, if we're talking Miami, it doesn't work, but it hasn't worked. But other places, Tebow, Chris, uh, Chris Leak. Um, yeah, but those are but those are separated by years. It's not peer level. Oh, okay, okay, you I got, I mean? okay, I got you. I that's, got you. That's I got that's you. Heisman Trophy. That you know, that's that's one guy who's a senior, and you get a couple guy, a guy who's getting some snaps before stepping up into the big role. I got. We you. don't have two guys who are one is a junior and one is a sophomore. And you're going back and forth between them, trying to you know, nah, that doesn't work. Like having a gadget package, you know, I got uh, you. Full time starters. So, okay, right, I got you. Full time. I got you. Like got you. coin flip. Who's going out on the field this series? You know, uh, kind of a thing that doesn't work. Um, and you got to find one. And whether that's on the roster, transfer portal, recruiting, I don't know, maybe you wish upon a star, you, you go into the film of the movie Aladdin on your Disney Plus, and you, you rub the lamp and you wish for one. I don't know where you're getting one from. Um, but I know that you have to find one. And, I mean, yeah, there are – okay, so not being facetious, obviously uh, – I wrote a feature last year called the recruiting rules. The number one recruiting rule is that you have to have a quarterback every recruiting cycle. That is part of your job. And that is part of the path towards finding somebody. It is obviously player development. It is obviously game production, coaching, those relationships. But by any means necessary, uh, 
Um, shout out to Malcolm X. That's how you have to find a quarterback. And Miami, Miami had a quarterback in Brad Kaya. No matter what you want to say about Brad Kaya, it, he was unquestionably the quarterback for this team. Now, you might say, okay, there was a quarterback, and he was the quarterback, and that lowered the ceiling from 12 wins to 10 or 8 or whatever. I won't necessarily agree with you, but I won't push back on that. There is no single person that Miami can look to at the quarterback position, and that is a position that is unlike any other in sport where you have to have one guy, the face of the franchise, to steal your thing. If we're talking about the NFL level, your Aaron Rodgers, your Tom Brady, your even my, you know, Matt Stafford from the Lions. It's unquestioned that he is the quarterback. And even at the college level, you have those kind of things. Even if, if, even if you look back at Oklahoma State, who I was talking about earlier with Sean Gleason, Spencer Sanders, their freshman, is their quarterback, the guy, number one, A1, day one, that's it. There's no controversy to that. They're not looking at anybody else because they have a dude. Miami needs to find one. Yeah, Miami does need to find the guy. Uh, I mean, just as you alluded to, I mean, I can go across the country and find a program virtually in every conference that has an entrenched guy who's been there two years, three years, and is dominant at that, at his job. And uh, it helps when you have – it helps every quarterback. If you know what your who your quarterback is and if he happens to just be a dude and be a good one, it makes – everybody's job so much easier simply put simply put he's he's just he's he's the face he's the face of the franchise so uh well since we're going with that he's able to deflect all of the the criticism to himself that is a huge thing off the field forget everything he does on the field because we know if he's an entrenched guy and he's a dude he's he's great there's greatness already there but all the things that he does for you off the field whether it's helping helping receivers staying after practice, helping receivers, helping younger quarterbacks develop, that is huge. That is one of the biggest things. So yeah, I, I definitely which, agree with you. Which you may or may not do because like it's hard to ask somebody to train a guy to potentially come and take their job on the field. Jaylen, uh, but there Jaylen, will be no, some of no that. You know, depending on hurts. <laughs> but depending on the separation in terms of years between them. You know, if you have, you know, DJ Youngalele, the number one quarterback in this recruiting class, or number two now, maybe, whatever, he's going to Clemson. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a junior next year. Trevor Lawrence has nothing to lose by helping out Youngalele because he's not going to lose his spot to Youngalele. He's going to play another year, be a number one or two overall NFL draft pick like we spoke about yesterday, and keep it pushing. Um, But, you know, if it was, I don't know, Hunter Johnson, who was a five-star in that recruiting class the year before Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Hunter Johnson ain't got no time to say, oh, this Mm -hmm. is how we do things because you got this dude, number one overall player in America, the recruiting class, coming down your neck for your job, which he took, and Hunter Johnson transferred. Jacob Eason, Justin Jacob Eason got injured. Uh, But If Jacob Eason didn't get injured, Jake uh, Jake Fromm is still holding a clipboard. Mmm, I'd be willing to say no because Jacob what? He, nah, Jacob nah, nah. Jacob look at what he, struggled. Look at what he, he struggled. did early in that season too. He, he struggled badly early. He did. He did. And and what did they keep doing? Putting him out there to play. Mm-hmm. Because 
you know, he is 6'6", 235, and can throw the ball a country mile. Yeah. He has a he has There a was no way that he they were not pulling him. Jake Fromm would still be on a clipboard. Justin Fields would still be on a clipboard. Well, no, he probably would have left. But he I mean, left. right? <laughs> but nah, left. you no, no. If Jacob Eason didn't get injured, he's still starting for Georgia today, as a junior before like leaving. Probably. Nah, I'm not saying he would have been. Superstar. He was all American. He would have right. been. He he might not have been Matthew Stafford, even though he has that kind of arm. Who went number one overall to yes my Detroit Lions? He might not have been that, but he would have been out there. Because Jake Fromm is extra regular degular. Oh, of course he is. Sorry. He is. He, he really. And w- sorry, not sorry. But, that, but that's my point. But either way, you got to find a guy. You got to have a guy. And with the separation in years, that makes it a little bit easier mm-hmm. and is a little bit tougher because, like I said, recruiting rule number one is you have to have a quarterback every single year. And what that does is it gives you, you're throwing numbers at the problem. Mm-hmm. And I've said this about different positions over the course of time. At defensive tackles some years ago, Miami had to throw numbers at the problem where they just needed dudes on the roster to try to figure out if we had some guys to play. But the year before we got uh, the three linebackers, you had to throw numbers at the problem. When Mark Rick first got here in 2014, the first thing he said was what? We do not have enough speed at wide receiver to even accurately simulate what it will be like going up against an opposing I team. I do remember those, that quote. So he had to get guys with speed to throw numbers at the problem. Now, you're going to get a bunch of fast dudes. Some of them are going to drop balls like they're Devin Hester in college. Sorry, he did. Ian, they tried to get him the ball every way possible. Some of them are going to work out. Cool, but you throw numbers at the problem. At quarterback, it might only be one a year. So you have a total of four, maybe five. But you got to throw numbers at the problem until you get one who sticks and is the guy. And then you hopefully are recruiting the next guy with the numbers that you have coming behind him. That's how it works. As we kind of put a bow on this whole keys to the franchise thing, um, this this thing is going to get fixed. It has to get fixed. I think a lot of these ideas, I think those things are possible ideas that actual these actual coaches are thinking about. Now, will the money be there to be thrown at these, at these potential candidates? That's a whole different thing because that's where our, our fantasy, I, I call it real fantasy football, that's where fantasy football kind of gets a little murky because you, you just don't know when it comes to how much a guy wants or how much a guy requires for as far as compensation. But this conversation will go on and we'll kind of we'll kind of keep going with this one and we'll kind of read some of your tweets on the next episode and we'll let when you guys let where you guys let us know um what you think and there was some very interesting ones we'll kind of talk about that on tomorrow's episode uh on a throwback thursday we might have to have some we might have something cooking who knows um i I like to keep you guys on your toes but before we get out of here make sure you go follow the show on twitter at locked on canes you can follow cam on twitter at Underwood Sports. You can find myself on Twitter at Fred Purdue CFB. That is P E R D U E. Like the like, uh, unlike the university that loses a lot of games. So uh, I was about to say. Yeah. And on top of that, you be sure that you guys like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app: Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Podomatic. Any of them. Like, subscribe, give us five stars for all this five star content. And and no, I won't say that. I'll save that for the next episode. But just know, I'm Batman. So for Cam. This is Fred. It's all about the you. Go Canes.